Second reading from God's Word is from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 13 and ending at verse 21. And it's on page 1270 on most versions of the Pew Bible. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Praise be to God for his word. Thank you. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its reminder to us this morning specifically of the precious blood of Christ that was shed for us. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would encourage us this morning in our walk with you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will empower me to proclaim this word with the power that comes from the true and living God. Would you forgive me for my sins? We pray that together, collectively, we will grow in love and grace, the knowledge of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, this morning, what a joy it is for us as a church to witness uh, the ordination and induction of uh, Stephen Moody to the eldership. We praise God for the gifts that he gives to us uh, through people, and that he calls people to serve him. And we need to encourage and motivate one another in our Christian walk, in our ministry, in our service uh, and love for Jesus. We are a church family here. We're not just an institution. Uh, we are not a museum. Uh, we are a dynamic, by God's grace, organic body of believers, a family of God, a community of believers, uh, loving Christ and serving him and one another. On Friday night, we had our training night. Those of us who came there, I went back home deeply encouraged and blessed. I thank John for uh, the session that he led with us, and for all those who uh, took part. And the challenge for the 50 of us who were there, I think, around 50-odd, was that we would make an effort to talk to someone new on Sunday morning, or maybe someone who is not new, all age groups, that we will connect with people. And it's about the gospel that drives us, isn't it? Uh, yesterday we did the outreach ministry with the barbecue. It's about the gospel of Christ. Uh, the leaders of this church, we pray, will be driven by the gospel of Christ so that we will be a dynamic church for, for Jesus. So we praise God for what he's doing here. Uh, we thank God for uh, the people that he brings into this place. We look forward to the day when... Uh, Second Minister John 
will be ordained and inducted to office, hopefully next year sometime. That will be great. And for Yvonne as well. Well, this morning, motivation for holy living. Motivation. Well, friends, we all need it, don't we? Right? How does a person keep his or her motivation in life? How do you stay motivated in the day-to-day living, year after year? What makes you kind of get up in the morning and say, well, I'm going to have a go at life this morning. Right? What makes you actually get up and move on every day? Now, we get motivation from various sources, don't we? For example, when you see someone exercising, someone is pumping up. Now, you know, I kind of exercise, but there are guys running in the park. They are pumping up. There's the boot camp that meets at Water Park. Those guys are carrying bags, and they're running, and they're doing all kinds of And here's me, I'm just... <laughs> they probably look at me and think, man, that guy, what's he doing? <laughs> um, but I get motivation when I'm there. I boot camp, those guys are shouting up and down, and they're running up and down, and I think, wow, if they can do it, why not me? I don't try to carry heavy loads, by the way, so... Um, we get motivated to exercise, don't we? Uh, we see other people riding their bikes and think, wow, man, I'm going to pull that bike out from the shed and I'm going to ride my bike. Perhaps you see someone working hard at their studies. They're, work, they're working really hard with their studies. Uh, and you might be motivated. I'm sure now a lot of students here finish their VC and IB exams. You don't want to look at your books anymore. But uh, those who are kind of interested in continuing to study, you'll be thinking, wow, that person studied. I'm going to study as well. Or you see someone cooking a great meal. Talk about food, boy. You know, I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm motivated to cook. Now, you, those of you who know me, you know that I love cooking. And uh, I've seen some of these Jamie Oliver's 15-minute uh, cooking programs. Have you seen that? I was thinking to myself, how on earth can you cook a meal in 15 minutes? He does it. That's the, that's the craziest thing. So, um, right? You might be motivated to do a good, good, um, you know, good dish. If you're a soccer fan, you might get motivation by seeing this Tanner goal this past week. You saw that goal? Go and Google it if you haven't seen. This guy, I don't know how I pronounce his name, but he's Ibrahimovic. The Sweden striker Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores a stunning goal overhead goal in their 4-2 friendly win over England. I mean, that was a stunner goal. Uh, Did anyone see that, by the way? Oh, yeah. What do you think of that? Man, now some people said to me, that's a fluke. I don't think so, because that, that guy can, that was remarkable. I won't try to demonstrate it this morning. <laughs> uh, that was a great goal. And then I saw the worst soccer goal yesterday, I think. The Brazilian guy, did you see that? He got a penalty kick. Anyone saw that one? The guy missed it completely. That's the worst goal ever. Well, it was the worst miss ever. It wasn't a goal, worst miss ever. So as Christians, you see, we get motivation from all kinds of sources, don't we? If you're a cricket fan, you get motivated by seeing Michael Clark hitting a double century. Double time. So that's fabulous. Poor South African team, they lost. I mean, they didn't lose, but they were nearly. I won't say anything about South Africans here this morning. But as Christians, how do, we stay, how do we stay motivated to live holy lives in this world? We know that we face many temptations, friends. We can't walk around being blindfolded, can you? Right? We see things. We read things. We hear things. We feel the vibe around us, don't we? Uh, we are faced with many and numerous temptations. And some may be tempted to think that their non-Christian friends seem to be having a great gala time and that you as a Christian, you're living a kind of, you're missing out on the fun because you've got to live this holy life kind of thing. I'm going to speak about that in a moment. 
You see, this concept of holiness is foreign to the non-Christian world. To be holy means to be separated. It means to be set apart. Holiness is both something as Christians that we have in Christ and something that you and I must cultivate by the strength of Christ. Our status in holiness is conferred in Christ. We can't, none of us can make ourselves holy. All right? You might try to make yourself holy, but you can't. You'll be trying until your dying day. It will not make us, nothing will make us holy. There's no formula. There are no life principles that says do this and you become holy. No, it is through trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior that we are made holy. That he confers that holiness to us and our standing before God is as justified, redeemed sinners. And it is through Christ that we are called to reflect that standing by being holy in daily living. So why live a holy life? Well, Peter motivates us to holy living in 1 Peter chapter 1. And he gives us three motivations to keep focus. Now, the first one, we saw that, uh, I'll put that up there. God is holy, God is our Father, and God gave us His Son. The first one we already saw last time, but let me just reiterate a few things, that God is holy. I dealt with this at length a few weeks ago. Peter says, as obedient children, you are called by God, God is holy, in chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, so be holy because He is holy. Now, I don't plan to spend so much time on this aspect, just but except to highlight a few things. You see, we are called, my dear friends, by our great God. It says this, but just as he called you is holy, so be holy. God has called us. In the light of the amazing blessings from the Lord, we are now challenged to respond to God's grace by the way we live. If you are a believer in Christ, then God has displayed his amazing grace to you. Yes? Good. I'm glad I heard a yes this morning. He has displayed an amazing grace by converting you. He has displayed his amazing grace by drawing you unto himself from darkness unto his marvelous light of gospel grace. God has given you a living hope through Jesus Christ. It's not a dead hope because there is no such hope, but it is a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus and he has also given you and given me and all his people who have trusted in Christ an inheritance that will never, ever fade away. Now Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that has given us a new birth into a living hope. And he has also given us an incredible inheritance that is kept in heaven for you and for me. It is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading. And in response to God's grace, Peter motivates us to live our lives for him. Now, when we speak of God's holiness, let me say this very quickly. God's holiness speaks about his separateness, speaks about his apartness from all that is unclean or evil, speaks about his purity, his moral perfection, his separateness from all outside of him, and God's holiness denotes his complete absence of sin. There is no sin. Absolutely pure. This is what stands out in the God of the Scriptures. And therefore, because he's holy, he's called us to live this holy life. And so I want to focus today, 17 to 21, in this passage that is before us this morning. And we want to look at two aspects of motivation for us today. God is our Father. And secondly, God gave us his Son. 
Since you call on God, on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Think for a moment about this word father. What comes up in your mind when you think about father? Right? A father that takes his children to the bus. <laughs> a father that, uh, I mean, come on, come on. Fathers, we do lots of things, don't we? Come on, kids, you should be able to just roll it out this morning. Right? Fathers, right? fathers are caring. Don't, I, I suspect we are. Right? Fathers are loving. Fathers are providers. Fathers are leaders. Fathers are those who are willing to make a sacrifice for their children. Fathers are those who are loving, not this legalistic, chauvinistic guys, but loving, graceful leaders in our homes. Christian fathers have a tremendous responsibility to be godly, loving, great fathers to our children, right? God has blessed us with children, so we are called upon to, to be loving fathers. And Peter reminds us that God is our father. Now, for some people, the word father might bring up many negative things, and I don't plan to go into that this morning. It might raise some very unresolved issues in people's lives, and I met people like that who are hurting because their fathers have been abusive or spiritual abuse by fathers as well, Bible-bashing fathers that make your children become so guilty, miserable fellows that they can't move an inch, right? That's terrible, right? Uh, Fathers who have kind of done things that they shouldn't have done. We know that. And none of us are perfect fathers. You ask my children, and I hope they'll tell you that I'm perfect, but I'm sure they won't. <laughs> ask them. They see the real Chris at home. They see this, this crazy Chris, right? Their father, and sometimes they ask me, Dad, you're ministering in the church, and you're doing funny things. And... So, so our fathers, fathers, you know, love their children, and, and there's a tenderness to a father's affection for his child. And in our first reading this morning, we read in the parable of the lost son. Think about the father in this parable. Right? This father waited for his lost son to return. He didn't even want his son to give his speech. The, the son had already thought in his mind, I'm going to do this, 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 this. I'm going to say this to my dad. No, the father waited patiently for his lost son to return to him. And his father was aching for his lost son to return. And when the lost son came home in, in, in Luke chapter 15... Having repented of his ways, the Bible tells us that his father embraced his son and kissed him. A word to fathers here this morning. I mean, I'm just stepping out here now. When is the last time, or mothers here, that you hug your children? Right? The last time you said to them, when you drop them off at school, in front of all their friends, you go and hug them. No, you don't do that. <laughs> that would be a disaster, right? But what I'm saying is, right? This father showed uh, what it means to love, right? And he hugged. And, 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 and what we see here is he welcomed him. He welcomed his son. He welcomed and he forgave his son. And he restored this son to the rightship of, of the entire household. He restored him. He reconciled. He was reconciled. It is a picture of a loving and a gracious and a compassionate father. And this is the picture of our God. Our God is a loving and a gracious and a compassionate father. A father who understands your emotions. A father who understands my struggles. A father who understands my sorrows. A father who understands my tears. A father who understands the ache in my heart. The burdens that I carry. The father who cares for those needs in your life. This is our father. The Lord's prayer begins with those wonderful words. Our father who art in heaven. You see... 
See, when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, friends, he converts us, this is what he does. Because he says in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, Because you are sons, now daughters included, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, what's it? Abba, Father. A father's tender love. He is our father, we are his children. And God is our father, he calls us to live a life that pleases him. Because of his relationship. Just like an earthly father, you see our children living their lives and bringing joy into your heart. Isn't that the blessing? Right? Which earthly father wouldn't want to see that? To see our children growing in Christ, our children maturing in Christ, our children serving Christ and doing well in Christ for the world in whatever area that they are involved with. In all their studies in academic excellence, music, you achieve your excellence for Christ. Don't stop short of doing your second best for Jesus. As a student, in your, in your sporting field, whatever. Right? It brings pleasure to our hearts to see our children grow and mature in the Lord. So God calls us as his children to do that. It is a loving relationship. And I put down in my notes, I don't know, it must be, I've never seen this phrase anywhere, but it be a new thing from Christmas. It's not. It's called grace living. <laughs> right? It's grace living. In response to God's grace, I'll live this life for him. Horatius Bona has been called the prince of Scottish writers. Now, there are people from Scotland here. You've heard and read about Horatius Bona. Right? He was a, a pastor at Kelso. Now, I don't know where Kelso is, but some people will know it, I'm sure. Right? And Horatius Bona said this about uh, holiness. A long quote. Let me just highlight a few things. It extends to every part of our persons, fills our being, spreads over life, influences everything we are or do or think or speak or plan, small or great. affects our friendship, our business, our writing, our going out and our coming out, our, the whole man, every movement, it affects us. So that's how it does. That's what it does. It affects all of our life. It affects our world view. Where you as a Christian young person or an older person, you're in your office, you're applying this principle that God called you to do of holiness in the workplace, of holiness in the school, of holiness in your university, of holiness in your studies, holiness where I'm driving my car and somebody cuts me on the road and I get all pumped up. I got to say, Lord, I need to have a holy response to this and not toot the horn. Right now, if you know, when I, I mean, I, used to, I drive, drove a lot in Sri Lanka, I, one hand was on the steering wheel, the other hand was on the horn. Pump, 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 all the time. Right? You perhaps have seen that in, in uh, Asian countries. You see, God has called us to exercise that holiness. In your home, as a housewife, you know, you might feel sometimes your work is just, ah, it's never ending. <laughs> a busy mom, taxi driver, Cooking your meals, ironing the clothes for your husband. No. Uh, uh, whatever you're doing, you might think, man, this is a, it's a chore, right? And you don't get paid for it either. <laughs> but you're doing it because you love Christ and you're exercising that gift, of that, that, that holiness in your work as well. Goods for myself, right? The point is, since you call on a father who judges each man's work, impartially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. God our Father will judge each man's work without showing favoritism. He's, a, he's impartial. 
God will reward us for our with our obedience. He will reward us with our works. And one writer put it this way, this truth alone ought to protect us against presumptuous sin. Whenever we begin thinking, oh, I can do this and get away with it, God will forgive me. After all, God is my father and therefore my friend, he says, then we are on dangerous ground. So rather than taking God, uh, taking his grace for granted, Peter motivates us to live holy lives as an impartial judge. God will judge everything. And we live our lives in awe. Uh, Ian uh, did the kids talk this morning. He didn't see my notes. He spoke about something, about God. What did he say? The fear of God. All right? The fear of God. It means God is not this tyrant God who's sitting there and wanting to whack you each time you make a mistake and say, Poof! It's not that way. God is a God who loves us and he will discipline us. Of course he will. But this word reverence, this word fear means this. We live our lives in reverence, in respect for the God of heaven and earth whose splendor is beyond our description. Remember Isaiah the prophet, when he was confronted with the vision of God's holiness, he cried out. What did he cry out? Anyone. Woe unto me. For I'm a man with unclean lips. I'm ruined. That's what he said. John Stott um, says this, uh, the kind of God that appeals to most people today would be easy going in his tolerance of our offenses. He would be gentle, kind, accommodating. He would have no violent reactions. Unhappily, even in the church, we seem to have lost the vision of the majesty of God. Have we? Have we lost the vision of the majesty of our great God in this, in this assembly? In the work that we do here? The God that we serve is an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God, a holy God, a majestic God, a God of splendor and awe. Uh, the, the angels worshipped him and continue to do so. This is our God. We cannot even begin to comprehend. The majesty of our God. And yet sometimes we think, oh, is the pal down the road. How are you going? I, mean, you know? I, I was uh, at one place uh, recently and somebody said, uh, so, oh, we're going to clap. We're going to clap for Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to put down anybody who's saying that. Jesus doesn't need a clap from me. <laughs> we can praise him with our singing. But he is the Lord. He is the God Almighty. He's a powerful God. Have we forgotten the majesty of God? There is no fear of God. He says this, There is much shallowness and levity among us. Prophets and psalmists would probably say of us, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Peter goes on to say, Live as strangers, living in this way. And then, friends, we also see this, don't we? That uh, our redemption. God gave us his son. Now, let me ask you this morning quickly. What are the things that are precious to us? Our lives are precious, right? Our families are precious to us, yes? Our health? Yeah? Good. Our reputation? Yeah? Your photo albums? I was thinking about this when I write this sermon, this message. I mean, if there's a fire in my house, what would I take and run out? I mean, of course, my family go out first thing. Then I'll take the four albums. I'll carry my little dog, Toby. 
and run from the place, right? I won't be worrying about silver and gold and all those kind of things, albums, all those things, run. Right? Things are precious, isn't it? To God, his son is precious. To God, his son is precious. And we see this this morning. This is such a fantastic text. It speaks about the precious, precious blood of Christ, the Son of God, my dear friends. And in this text here, what we see is, remember this. If you forget everything else about this sermon, remember the words, the precious blood of Christ. All right? The precious blood of Christ. And three things have taken place. We have been ransomed. We have been redeemed. And we are reconciled through the blood of Christ. A ransom. What is a ransom? You see the definition is simple. A ransom is a payment to free a captive. A story is told of Abraham Lincoln who went down to the slave yard. And there he noticed a young black girl uh, up for auction. Moved with compassion. He made the bid and he won the bid. After purchasing her, Lincoln told the the disbelieving young girl... That she was free. She was free. And in her surprise, she said, what does that mean? It means you are free. No, I can't understand it. Yes, you are free. Go. I have paid the price. You are set free. And this young little girl could not understand it. It was too much for her to understand. You see, Christ has ransomed us and he has set us free and freed us from our Sin. He has freed us from our guilt. He has freed us from the shackles of sin. The burdens of sin. He has destroyed it. He has removed it. He has dealt with it. He has ransomed us. Paid a price. And then we are redeemed. You see, Christ is the payment to satisfy the justice of God. And Peter says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life and down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of, the, of Christ, a lamb with blemish, without blemish. That's it. We are ransomed. We are redeemed. To redeem is to buy back something, to pay off. To pay off your debt, perhaps. To pay off, uh, if you've gone and, and, and mortgaged something, somebody comes and pays off that and you say, wow, wouldn't that be great? I'm mortgage-free. No more debt. Your credit card, you got thousands of dollars on the credit card, and somebody comes and says, I'll redeem that to you. Let me take the card. I'll pay that, the whole price. Done. Wouldn't that be great? If you're using a credit card, that is. Right? You've been redeemed, you've been pay, paid, is to buy back, to pay off. And that is what we see, that from our empty way of life and down to our Father, that is we were lost, we were without hope in our sin, but God has redeemed us from this empty way of life. Are you rejoicing with that this morning? Yes. Amen. Praise God for that this morning. Alright? We are redeemed, and then we are reconciled. This is what, what the scriptures put. Over here, we're reconciled. To reconcile is to reconnect those who have been separated because our sin against God is so great 
they were separated from him. But God through Christ has reconciled us to himself, Paul says in, in Second Corinthians, and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So my dear friends, you've been ransomed, you've been redeemed, you've been reconciled, not with the perishable things of this earth. There are some things that we can buy with silver or gold and our coins and monies and notes and whatever, but no amount of gold or silver or anything can pay for your sin and and, and mine. That's what it is. I want you to look at this this morning. By it, it's with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. It cost God his son. It is only the precious blood of Christ. This is the gospel, my dear friends. Why blood? <laughs> Time to unpack this whole thing this morning. Could God not have saved us in any other way? This was a question that was asked of me last week or two weeks ago. Why, why, did, why did God have to use blood to save us? Couldn't he have done it some other way? Of course he could have done it any, any way he chose to do it. But he did it this way because in blood is life. And we see in the Old Testament and in, in the New Testament in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins says the epistle of in, in the Hebrews, Hebrews 9 verse 22. And Jesus is referred to as a lamb without blemish, spotless, taking us right back into the Old Testament. The Exodus account, the angel of death passing over the houses with blood sprinkled on the doorpost, the, the, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, when the blood of an unblemished animal was taken into the Holy of Holies. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, what did he say? What did he say? Look, who? The Lamb of God who takes away our sins. My dear friends, all the punishment that my sin deserves has been fully met in the punishment of the substitute. He died in my place. All our sin is atoned for completely. The precious blood of Christ should drive us to have a passion for Jesus. Should drive us, my dear friends, to have a passion to serve him. Should drive us to have a passion to reach the lost for Christ. Your friends, your family, the world that is passing by. We are in this building, we can't even see what's going on outside, can, can we? <laughs> and sometimes I wonder whether it's a comfort thing as well. But the blood of Christ will push us. It will push us out because we've been redeemed, been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been restored. What a blessing. Are you thankful to God for that this morning? The precious, the precious blood of Christ. This is not just blood. It is the precious blood. That's what the Bible tells us. It is precious. It is precious to God. It is precious to him because his son left the splendor of heaven and he came down into this dirt infested world of sin and he gave his precious blood on the cross for you and for me. To a lost world. But what's the use of the precious blood of Christ if his bones are buried somewhere else? But look at what the text tells us. Let's read it. Through him you believe in God. What? Who raised him from the dead. See, that's what makes it complete. The redemption, the resurrection. So as we uh, work our way to the conclusion this morning, we see the motivations for only living. We've seen two. In fact, there are three, but this morning, we've already seen the first one a couple of weeks ago. Today, God is our Father, and God gave us His Son. They are given to encourage and motivate us to holy living. Let me say this, holy living does not mean that you will be living a boring life. Because some people think this holy living is a boring life. It is not. 
I want to clarify that this morning. It is actually the best life that you can live. Right? Let me say this. It is the best life that you and I can live. We can have the best fun. Yeah? We can have the best enjoyment. We can have the best relationships that God calls us into. A holy life is a fulfilled life. A holy life is a life of peace. It is God's peace to you. A holy life is one of hope in the midst of suffering, pain, and tears. A holy life is one of power. A holy life is one of real enjoyment. Are you enjoying your life even in the midst of your tears and your heartaches and all the pain and suffering? I ask you that question this morning. Are you? Maybe think about it. Are you enjoying this fulfilled life that Christ has come and has given to us and puts a joy in my heart and a peace that comes through and a smile on my dial because of my face? (laughs) Because Christ has paid the price with his precious blood. Not with silver and gold. You have been purchased. You have been rescued. And the precious blood of Christ has delivered you from the power of sin and death. And when you die... You will get to heaven, not because of silver and gold, not because of the credit cards that you have, not because of your house, but it's because the precious blood of Christ. Yes, silver and gold are precious, but the precious blood of Christ cleanses us, washes us from our sin, sanctifies us, makes us right with God, and gives us amazing blessings. So this morning, friends, the only currency that is of value to God is the precious blood of Christ. This is the only hope. He sent his son, he gave his son, he sacrificed it. Question to you this morning. Is there anyone here today? Maybe there's someone here today. Maybe there's someone here who does not know Jesus. You've never heard about the precious blood of Christ spilt for you on the cross. And maybe God is speaking to you today quietly in your heart. Maybe there's someone here today who has kind of backslidden from God. You've done your own way and you're hurting and you know it. You're living a life that is of disobedience to God and you know it in your heart. Maybe today God is calling you back. The loving Father is saying, come to me. I want to embrace you. I want to hug you. I want to give you a welcome kiss. Maybe there are those, those of us who know Christ. The passion to serve and to love Jesus. And to grow in grace. And to pray for the lost world outside of the four walls of this building. That they may know and taste of the precious blood of Christ. Forgiveness and grace. Isn't that the case? And we are never alone when we know Christ. Never alone. Amen.